0: Welcome to a special bonus episode of Virtual Economy. I'm flying solo today, but only because Mike's not here. I am, however, joined by Josh Fairhurst and well, Joe Modzaleski. Close
1: enough. Did Moduleski? I get it? It's close, pre- pre- pretend that the Z is like a J.
0: Modzaleski, did I get it there? There it is.
1: yep, that's
0: oh, it. Yes, I love it when I get names right. These lovely gentlemen are joining us from Limited Run, and we are also joined by the fantastic Jonas Roslund, who is the executive director of video game vet preservation nonprofit hit save. Yes, the one I talk about literally all the time. If you're brand new to Virtual Economy, welcome in. My name is Amanda Farrow. I am the co-host and producer around here. And to my guests, welcome in. So glad to have you.
2: Thank you. Happy to be here.
0: Brilliant. Okay, so I'm going to go around the table here, so to speak, and I want everyone to introduce themselves kind of like they did in our little preamble, in our little pre-discussion. So Josh, I'm going to start with you. Who are you? What are you doing here?
2: I am the CEO of Limited Run Games. So I started Limited Run Games with my co-founder, Douglas Bogart, uh, about six years ago, maybe seven years ago, almost. And uh, we've basically set out to just Take games and make boxed versions out of them for people who still care about that. I love we that. We all do.
0: We definitely care so much. That's why we're here.
3: Good Joe, to hear. who are
0: you?
1: Uh, my name is Joe Moduleski. I am the development lead at Limiter Run Games. Uh, these days, pretty much my job is to lead the carbon project and ship games. Make sure that they go from conception to out the door on your platform of choice.
0: So you're just making little miracles all the time. Is Not what me. you're saying.
1: Not just me. It's a it's a it's shepherding a strong, little it's miracles. It's a strong team of people, but um, yeah, keeping everyone in line, keeping like goals on track, keeping milestones on track. Man, just making sure things get out. It's a it's a big thing. I love what I do.
0: I love that. Jonas, who are you?
3: <laughs> Hi folks. I'm Jonas Rossland. I'm the executive director over at Hit Save, a video game preservation nonprofit. Um, that's by night when I'm not with my family and when I'm finished with my day job. Um, uh, so yeah, every, every little ounce of time that I have to spend on preservation projects, uh, that's what I do.
0: It's true. I can vouch for that. I swear the man doesn't sleep. So we are here to talk about video game preservation. This is a subject that is near and dear to all of our hearts and something that has been you know, since pretty problematic, quite frankly, uh, since the advent of digital delivery for video games, because how do you, you know, preserve digital files if you don't actually own them? So we're here to talk about preservation today. So we're going to go through, we have three different sections. We're going to be doing like a preservation 101 section for folks that actually don't know what preservation really is. The tools of preservation, where we are going to be talking about Limited runs, new Project Carbon. I love that, Project Carbon. So badass. And we are gonna talk about the future of preservation as well as, as the way these lovely humans see preservation in the future. So let's start at the very beginning because it is a very good place to start. When people tend to think about preservation, they think about it either for like academic purposes or solely for private collections. So I would love to know what does preservation mean to each of you and Josh I'm going to start with you.
2: Yeah so I mean I I think that preservation is really just having backups of games in some format or media in some format you know A lot of people think that I'm delusional enough to believe that our physical releases are like the be all end all of physical preservation or whatever, but I don't really believe that. I think that what we're doing with physical copies is a component of preservation. It's basically creating a physical backup, you know, several thousand physical backups of a game so that, you know, if the torrents ever die of the digital pirated files for these games, you know, somebody still has a disk somewhere so they can get the file again and put it back up on a torrent or whatever. It's like, we're not the be all end all for preservation, but preservation is really just about having games be backed up so that people can find them when they need them, you know, not just completely losing those things.
1: Sure. Absolutely. I kind of want to jump on what he's saying too. Like, I think there's those, there's two parts to preservation. There's like, the first part is, is it accessible, right? Are there are there backups of it available? Is it accessible in some way? Whether that be a physical copy, a digital copy, whatever. Because I am of the mind, despite working for limited run games and primarily a physical publishing company, I am of the mind that digital files are also incredibly important to uh, to like accessibility and archiving and stuff like that. Like if you look back at the NES, the reason a lot of the NES games persisted and were available and stuff like that and preserved was because they were physical, but then they got all backed up to digital files that a lot of us played on emulators and ROMs and it kept it kept that library alive for a long time, right? So having files be accessible is a huge part of them being um, preserved as well. But another thing is not just um, the games themselves, but a lot of the assets surrounding the games, whether that's like source code or art assets or promotional assets or like um, like stuff like that, packaging assets um josh has done a lot of really cool stuff to dig up assets that the the partners we work with don't even have themselves anymore um and a lot of those ancillary materials around the game itself are also to me really important regarding the preservation of the game because they tell a whole separate story about the game not just it but the world the way in which it was distributed originally you know
0: Absolutely. There's a lull in my dog's barking. So this is a great segue for Jonas to talk about preservation.
3: Yeah, so um, I wholeheartedly agree with you both. I mean, making sure that we have proper backups, making sure that things are accessible to the general public um, for decades to come, for for centuries to come. That's what we all want. Um, One aspect of preservation that I also find really uh, fascinating is capturing the history of the people behind the games. So interviewing the people, and making sure that we get the, the stories of them, who they are, how this game got made, why it was made, uh, why it made an impact. So yeah, uh, having the, the game and the artwork and then the story to go along with the game uh, helps kind of build um, kind of a, a thread of uh, how the development happened and just how the the game came to be. So yeah, wholeheartedly agree, uh, that plus the the story of the people behind it.
0: That's part of the reason why I wanted to work with HitSave is because I'm like, oh, we care about the the development stories too? Oh, I'm down. So that's how I ended up with HitSave. It's true. It's a true story and the rest is history. So now that we've defined what preservation is from all of our different perspectives, Let's talk about, you know, the different organizations' roles in preservation. So from Limited Run's perspective, what is your role in preservation? So I'll I'll punt this over to, to Josh and Joe.
2: So I think that, you know, at least what we started off as, as far as our role goes, is just, you know, providing physical backups. You know, it's a component of preservation. You know, it doesn't solve the accessibility thing that Joe brought up, where it's like, Sure, you know, limited quantity of this game in physical form, that's not necessarily going to be accessible by everybody 24-7. But, you know, if the digital downloads fail, if all that stuff fails, at least these physical backups exist. It's like a fallback to ensure that these games exist in some sort of preserved format for years to come. Uh, so that was our initial role, but recently one of the things we've really gotten into is the, the Car Carbon Engine, which is a piece of technology that we developed to very quickly and easily re-release accurate emulated versions of classic games on modern hardware. So uh, that is a new role that I think we're playing in preservation, which is making some of these games more accessible again to people who don't want to pirate, who don't want to download ROMs, who feel immoral about that because, you know, I know it's surprising to a lot of people, but there are people who will not download ROMs, will not play that way. So this is kind of, you know, we're trying to bring back a lot of catalog titles for people to play legally and own legally again. And while we're making our carbon releases available digitally, which, you know, is keeping them, these things out there and accessible and purchasable. We're also doing the physical backup side still on the limited end. So we've got physical and we've got digital and we've got these old games being re-released again. And Joe can comment more on what we're doing with Carbon.
1: Yeah, I think um, you kind of hit it really, really well. Uh, One of the things that I just want to touch on a little bit more is the accessibility aspect. So, um, you know, Josh is talking about like a lot of people don't want to pirate ROMs or or whatever. Um, you can go past the, the the piracy aspect, and I know for a lot of really old libraries and games that aren't sold anymore, it can be a little gray as to whether or not it's even a problem. Um, but you can circumvent that by you know dumping your own cartridges and playing playing them on emulators, and that's totally totally legal, right? But the thing is even though that's technically there and that's technically accessible, it still is only accessible to some people because that is a barrier of entry. For some people, the barrier of entry starts and stops at the digital storefront on their platform of choice. And if the game's not available there, it may as well not be accessible in any capacity, right? Um, so I do still think that with Carbon, when we're bringing back uh, you know, legacy games, Um, I still do think we're playing a part in making those games accessible because we're reaching out to an audience that, again, that's where their line of accessibility starts and ends.
0: I was waiting for my dogs to stop barking again. They're finally out of this space. So that, that all makes really good sense to me, and I'm really glad that we're that we are diving into that accessibility angle as much as we are. That I think that's an exceptionally important piece of preservation that sometimes kind of gets left behind. Um, Jonas, what is Hit Saves' role in preservation?
3: Um, before I dive into that, I, I just want to thank the, the Limited Run team for creating the, the Carbon Engine here, because I, I think it's really, really cool what you're doing um, in making sure that you get these games... Um, previously released and actually accessible on newer platforms that people have at home and that people can actually hook up to their modern TVs and play with a comfortable controller and all of that, that adds to the accessibility so, so much. So I I think it's fantastic. Um, Yeah, I I mean, yes, of course, you can dump an NES ROM and you can play it using an emulator, sure. But maybe I want to play it uh, on the big screen uh in my my living room on the big tv with a comfortable ps4 controller that's what i want to do so there's there's nothing
1: more accessible than like meeting meeting customers and meeting players where they already are at the platforms they're already using in the the places they want to play right like Mm -hmm. that is you know at the end of the day like that's a huge part of accessibility
3: yeah yeah i think it's fantastic i'm i'm Really looking forward to um, what else you do uh, with that engine and the, the games that are coming out uh, using that. So, I think that's really cool. Um, diving into what we do at Hitsave, we do um, a myriad of things. So, we're, we're a preservation nonprofit. So, we, of course, uh, interview. Indie developers, uh, that's one of our main projects, interviewing indie developers and gathering their stories and then preserving their artifacts. So preserving their games, preserving their, uh, their art assets, uh, preserving their game design documents or planning documents, what have you. Uh, so not just stuff that was viewed by the public, but also what happened behind the scenes. So we we get the full story or more of the full story. You can never get the the entire full story, but as much as possible. So we're we're trying to gather all that, and we have worked with some fantastic indie developers in the past uh, year and a half that we have been in existence to get that content from them. Uh, so we can preserve that for for generations to come, and it's really really fun to see. Uh, some have all uh, already. Uh, said that we can actually publish them online as well which we have done for the winter more game for instance so that's super super fun other things that we do is well we do preserve things as well so dumping things dumping cds dumping floppies dumping tapes uh dumping carts so we we do a bunch of that a lot of the the stuff that's um on older consoles and things like that have already been dumped numerous, numerous times. There's no reason for us to uh, try to acquire a full uh, NES set to dump yet one more time, but rather we we focus on other things that uh, might not be uh, as popular. So we, uh, we have uh, various floppies and tapes from from uh, more obscure systems. And then we have uh, Japanese games and Japanese game DVDs and things like that, that I focus on, which I think is super, super fun, while also learning Japanese. So yeah, we we try to do a little bit of everything, but not too much, because again, we're a nonprofit. We do this during our spare time. And then we try to help others within the preservation community as well. Um, One of the things that we do, and you touched on this, Joe, things are available to dump your, own, uh, dump your own games, but they're not always that accessible to people. So we try to help people into the preservation community. So we have dumping.guide uh, for a dumping guide for many systems, we have scanning.guide and we're building a preservation.guide for actually preserving items, preserving them for long-term storage and how to treat them and how to clean them and, and, and things like that. So actually preserving the items. So we're, we're trying to share that knowledge. That's already uh, knowledge out in the community, but we're trying to kind of condense it so we can share it back to the community so people know where to look for things as well. So that's that's what we're focusing on right now, dumping uh, indie game interviews and uh, sharing information.
0: I got to say, as somebody who, before I worked with HitSave, I knew almost nothing about the actual technical Stuff that went into preservation. I've learned so much from things like dumping.guide and scanning.guide. So hit save is like the real deal. So kind of kind of building on this though is, you know, there are a ton of different organizations that are doing preservation work. There are individuals that are doing preservation work. But we gotta talk about the industry at large too. So this is for from each of your perspectives. You know, what is the game industry's role in ensuring that games, hardware, promo materials are preserved for future generations? Or what should their responsibilities be? So, Josh, I'm going to start with you on this one.
2: I would like it if publishers and developers, you know, took good care to preserve everything and keep everything organized and collected. But Often the problem is that there's not a lot of money in, well, at least there didn't used to be a lot of money in preserving these things. So they would just kind of toss them to the side and then move on to the next thing. So we've found that when it comes to games made in the early thousands and prior, like there wasn't a lot of preservation done. Like, the the only people that saved a lot of stuff related to these games were some of the developers who maybe kept the code and put it in their garage somewhere or the magazines that kept you know the promotional materials that were sent out for the game but at the end of the day what we've found is that a lot of the publishers don't have anything anymore you know they moved offices and they threw everything away or you know whatever else so Unfortunately, preservation was kind of an afterthought for a really long time until we got to the Xbox 360 generation when publishers started realizing that there was money in re-releasing older games. And that's the point when they started kind of taking uh, a more serious approach to maintaining older code bases and keeping up with that stuff. So I think at this point, publishers are doing a fairly good job of keeping things up to date and, and preserved and accessible for when they have partners that are working on things, but uh, they're still not really, you know, on an academic side, making a lot of this stuff accessible. So, you know, a lot of it's just kind of kept for private use, which is, you know, that's the nature of business or whatever. Like, they're not just going to freely share it for the most part. But I think in an ideal world, I I would like to see more accessibility for some of these materials and other things that, Uh, Publishers are keeping for their games because I think it would help people learn and get more insight into some of these games.
1: I think um, I I won't repeat some of the stuff that Josh said because he said a lot of things that I totally agree with. Um, I think a really big thing, if you just want to talk about uh, console manufacturers, a huge thing that they could be doing better uh, in terms of preservation is just full on straight backwards compatibility. We're at a point now where um, the two major like home consoles, so like the the Xbox and the Playstations, um, they're basically PCs. Like it doesn't seem like the hardware architecture is going to change, at least in the near future. There needs to be better like effort spent on backwards compatibility moving forward. And emulation is in such a good place these days that like I don't want to put myself out of a job. But like... You know, uh, Microsoft has done an incredible job with its Xbox and Xbox 360 emulation on Xbox Series and Xbox One set of consoles. Um, And that's been a great solution for them to be backwards compatible with platforms that won't natively run on Xbox One or Xbox Series X, right? Um, I think uh, both Microsoft and Sony need to make a, you know, a better effort to emulate and use backwards compatibility, compatibility moving forward. Um and then beyond that uh I I realized that my direct boss is right here so this might be a little controversial but um other developers out there steal from work like that's all you can do right like a lot of the time that the only like the only things people have as far as assets for preserving old games code bases and stuff like that tends to always surface from employees who just kept the stuff they had kept the floppies or they kept a the disk drive or they're sorry not a disk drive a hard disk drive and they, they kept this shit Sorry, I don't know if I was supposed to swear. They kept this stuff.
0: It's okay, you can Um, swear.
1: (laughs) So like, don't go out there getting yourself in trouble. You know what I mean? Don't, you know, whatever. But like, make backups of your work. Someday, that's gonna be really, really important. Long past the point where it's gonna be problematic for you to have had that stuff. Someday, somebody is gonna be really happy you, you had that. I bet you Square Enix wouldn't be upset when they were trying to redo Kingdom Hearts and realized they didn't have the source code, if they were able to track down a former programmer on that game who kept the entire archive at home, I don't think they'd have been mad. I think they'd have been happy because they, they have it, right? But they That don't. part. That yeah, part. Like, it's so, so important. So, like, you know, I don't know a, a better, uh, less problematic way of saying maybe steal from work. I don't know.
3: Just make backups, (laughs) making backups, and then you conveniently maybe forget about those backups for for a number
0: (laughs) of years. For a couple decades.
3: Yeah, yeah, that's perfectly fine.
0: That's okay. So, Jonas, for you, what do you want the game, what do you see the game industry's role in preservation as, and what do you wish it could be?
3: I've seen some great examples of uh, how... Uh, especially indie, indie developers, because that's our main focus here. Um, I see how they are treating their community with respect uh, by sharing information and sharing content as well. We saw this in a very, very cool way uh, last month when Yacht Club Games shared their entire uh, Shovel Knight artwork um, under a Creative Commons license. So people can make fan games. They're literally saying, hey, here's all of our artwork for our game. Please make fan games uh, or fan art or whatever you want to create using That's this huge um, under the, the appropriate license. I, I think it's so damn cool to see this. Um, and I hope others can see that hey, this is a very, very successful company, uh, a very successful game, very popular game, and they're just giving this away um, to the community. Um, So I I just love seeing things like that. Um, And then, as I said, when we speak with indie developers as well, and they're sharing content, so that way you don't have to steal from work. If you're already giving it to someone that will take care of it. That's, so, yeah. uh, so I think that's something that I would love to see from other publishers as well, uh, developers and publishers, where they say, hey, we got this game that got released last year. We have a ton of content for it that we no longer want to keep in our warehouse might be physical artifacts or uh, banners or what have you. Uh, And we got a bunch of digital content here, previous artwork, source code and stuff like that. How about we just give that to you folks and you keep it safe for uh, a a decade or so and then we'll just open it up to the community.
1: Yeah, Uh, I'll I'll, I'll bounce on that. I hate to interrupt you, but I'll bounce on that and say like, yeah, additionally, you don't always have to steal from work if you can convince your work to participate in something like you suggested, or if you notice while you're working, you know, that that they're they're not really making a strong effort for preservation of their own content if you initiate it internally. Also, I guess I'll reason my comment a little bit. Only steal from work if your work is doing everything it can to not preserve its content. <laughs> not like yes. limited run games. I I am able to keep very comprehensive backups here, so I don't have to steal from my work, but, you know, maybe you have to steal from yours. I Keeping
0: backups matters yes. every yes. single time it matters. So that was great. I love that. And from my perspective, I I agree with absolutely everything that you all have been saying. I think that uh, Microsoft is doing a better job with backwards compatibility than most of the other platforms because they're starting to pay more attention to preservation beyond capitalism and beyond having that code base for remasters, re-releases and remakes, which Mike and I have talked about a ton on this show. Um, and the, the reason the, you know, the, the business reasons why they have been so successful is because we do lack preservation in this industry. So let's talk about some tools here. This is where the two of you at limited run get to wax poetic about the carbon engine what it does and why it's important to preservation.
2: So I'll just mention that you know our core goal with the Carbon Engine is creating something that reduces the barriers for publishers to re-release their old content. And the barriers to re-releasing their old content are primarily, it costs money to re-release, re-release them. They have to pay a developer to do this. They have to pay these big expensive development budgets, you know, several hundred thousand dollars sometimes just to re-release a collection of old games. And we're tearing that down by removing the need to pay anything. So we're basically doing it and we're providing that to our partners in exchange for us being able to do a physical release of it. So we'll recoup what we put into it on our physical release. So through our business model, we're breaking down the wall that was preventing publishers from previously re-releasing stuff. The other problem that a lot of publishers have is that licenses expired for things. You know, people could have put out a game, you know, a a famous thing that I've kind of made a, a point of looking into is... Uh, Frank Cifaldi said in a GDC talk once that home improvement on SNES will never be re-released for whatever reason because it's licensed and you know nobody's ever going to bother doing that but just because I like to do really stupid things I've made it my goal to re-release home improvement on SNES just to show like limited run is trying to yeah we're trying to improve accessibility to these old games and bring them back like You know we're providing personnel that will talk to the licensors like disney or so that we can you know regain the license for home improvement or the likeness for the actors so that we can re-release that game again uh even though there's probably like five people that want that game again it's the principle of bringing these games back into circulation again in some way and that's what we're trying to do because if you look at the film industry uh they've just plop their old movies up onto netflix there's really no barrier there they're just like boom and here it is and i would say that the vast majority of like modern film content is available to stream somewhere there are always exceptions like cliff Wazinski was just tweeting he couldn't watch shiloh so you know there's a weird exception like that movie's not up nobody knows why but uh most movies they're they're up somewhere because the barriers fairly low for getting these movies back out we're trying to build some kind of technology that uh will reduce the barriers to get older games back and accessible again on modern platforms in the same way that some of these platforms have done for movies
1: yeah i think that's super important i think um again accessibility is a huge part of it um i think in terms of preservation and accessibility going forward, if we're talking about the the ten year like plan, the twenty year plan, the thirty year plan, um, emulation becomes more and more important. The longer uh, the gap of time becomes between you know today and whatever the original hardware was, right? Um, we are eventually going to get to a point. We've seen it even in our lifetimes. We're going to get to a point where technology does not look uh and is not built the way that it is today there's going to come a time when the computer as we see it just just is not a thing um the the devices that people interact with are going to be very different one day and at that point you know uh really high quality accurate emulation of old hardware is the only way you're going to truly preserve Um, You know the integrity of what these games were, what they were like to play. And everybody's experience of an NES game 50 years from now isn't going to be what it was like to play an NES game on a CRT, on hardware. Their perception of what NES was is going to rely on how good the emulation is for NES on whatever device they're using in their homes at that point 50 years in the future. So um, one of the things that is really important about keeping emulation Alive because all the games tied to these platforms are owned by someone. They're licensed by someone, right? You have to you have to keep commercial interest in emulation alive as well. You have to you know show to publishers that their back catalog of games are valuable. You have to show them that um, you know either the expenses to uh, re-release them are worthwhile, or that you have gone and done what we've done and kind of reduced the barrier of entry to basically nothing. It's essentially just like Will you let us do this, right? And that takes care of a lot of the problems so that we can get these things back out there. Because again, repeating a, an earlier point, um, the game has to be accessible. The, 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 the items have to be accessible in meeting the, the, the consumer where they are to truly be accessible to that person. Um, and, and that for that to persist beyond this generation, because you can't just look at this generation, Switch and PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X, we have to think, 10 20 years in the future and again I don't see any way these things are going to be preserved if emulation isn't a key part of it and it, it can it can continue to be you know hobbyist emulation but I think I think the the embracing of commercial emulation in the last 5 years has been massive and I think pushing that more and more getting more and more publishers to be okay with commercialized emulation I think it's going to go a long way to making sure these titles stay accessible, you know, for a long, long time.
0: That's actually a really great point, especially from, you know, the, the business perspective. Right. And the reason why Mike and I have talked so much about remakes, remasters and re-releases over the last couple of years is because that commercial interest is, is high, And consumers are hungry. They are hungry for previous generations. They want to go back. They want to be able to play these games and having more accessibility to back back catalog games. I mean, if we look at the way things played out, even for some of the biggest publishers, their back catalogs are bringing in a significant percentage of their quarterly revenue, unless you're EA. EA is the only one I think that out there that their back cat doesn't tend to make much make much in terms of waves. But if we look at Take Two with all of their back catalogs, we look at Ubisoft, um, we can even look at, at you know, I hope that Xbox will start publishing those numbers again. They haven't in a very long time. But I'm sure that if we looked at Microsoft, their back cat is all on Game Pass. And yeah, that I was is say, it, it millions. It seems like they've found
1: a way to, you know, utilize the back catalog to provide more value to the service. Which yes. Is, you know. It's
0: huge. And it continues to keep games that are older, that, you know, that were either, that were released on the 360 and they weren't brought forward, potentially for, you know, physical back compat it's big. And there's big commercial and consumer interest in that. So commercial emulation, I think, is fantastic. And I love what you all are doing with the Carbon Engine. I think it is super important. I think that more, especially more indie publishers and developers, you want to get in on that. That's some good stuff. So Jonas, I want to go into your perspective on what kinds of tools you know the development community is using. And specifically, I want to talk about the one that that you know is is actively involved in and around Hit Save as well.
3: Yeah, sure. I, I mean, we use a ton of different tools. Um, many. the The most important tool that I think that we use right now is Discord, um, because we communicate with the rest of the preservation community. That is 100 the the most important one. Um, right now because without that communication uh, we wouldn't have discussions with uh, other preservation uh, community members Uh, of course there's forums and things like that but the discord has just helped so much when it comes to preservation work and actually organizing preservation work and talking to uh, preservation community members across the globe so that has been really a, a fantastic tool for us to get involved, for me to get involved. I've only been involved for a couple of years. Um, and for me to get involved and then uh, educate myself and talk to really knowledgeable people there so I can learn as well. And then I share that knowledge with others. So that, that is 100% the, the most important tool. Then, of course, we use a bunch of different hardware and, and software to actually do the preservation work as well. So we, um, uh, for various dumping purposes, we, we use a ver- variety of different hardware. One of my most uh, priced items in my, my dumping uh, hardware collection is the Sani uh, card reader. Um, it's a fantastic open source project created by Sani uh, over, um, you can find everything up on GitHub there. Uh, it's a fantastic tool and I built it myself. So open source PCB and uh, just a bunch of electronics. And then uh, that was my one of my first soldering projects a couple of years ago. Built it myself and I realized that, hey, this actually works. So what I did after that was that I ordered a bunch of more PCBs and more electronics and built more for the community as well Uh, so they could utilize this because as Joe said earlier uh, it's really hard to actually have access to these things so uh, I wanted more members of the community to have access to this so I built a few sent them out to the community Um, and then now I'm actually sitting here with another open source project uh, that I'm using which is Pauline a, a really cool floppy dumping uh, solution uh, that's using a D10nano FPGA for dumping purposes. It's a fantastic piece of software. I've been having a lot of fun with that uh, during uh, during my day here. Um, and then of course, a bunch of um, DVD drives and CD drives to dump actual DVDs and uh, CDs and things like that. Um, and then we u- uh, utilize various software for the actual dumping as well the uh, when we when it comes to disk preservation so looking at cd and dvd uh, and game preservation using that media we use aru which is a fantastic open source tool uh aru.app you can check it out there it's a fantastic tool for uh, real preservation of a ton of metadata around the disk, not just the disk contents themselves, but actual um, the how the, the disk is built up and how it actually, um, um, yeah, how it's built. So it's a it's really, really good tool. And then uh, we use the media preservation front end um, which is a great UI for Aru and for another uh, dumping tool called Disk Image Creator. Um, so, yeah, again, a ton of different tools that we use for various different tasks. Uh, it's not easy when you, when you get into this and you're like, hey, when you're like me a couple of years ago saying, hey, I got a bunch of carts uh, for various systems that I would like to preserve for the community. How do I get started? and i was pointed in a in a million different directions and eventually i'm like okay i need some hardware first okay i'll get some hardware then i need this software i need to verify things and i need to communicate that so it's kind of a uh it can be hard which is again why we wanted to put up these guides so looking at dumping.guide and scanning.guide to help people get into preservation within the preservation community so yeah, a bunch of different tools. They're all mentioned up on the uh, the sites that I mentioned as well. And uh, yeah, highly recommend checking them out, especially Media Preservation Frontend for, for disk dumping and then the Pauline Project for floppy dumping.
0: I love that. I always learn so much whenever I talk to you, Jonas. <laughs> all right, so let's do a little bit of looking into the future. And I'd love to know what your collective vision is, rather what your individual visions are for the future of preservation technology. So Josh, for you, here, I'll unmute you. I think I can unmute you. Can I? No, you can unmute yourself. Uh, Hold on, friend. I don't think I can unmute you from here. I think you got to unmute yourself. Not on your headset. Right in, Zencaster. Just click that little button right next to your name. <laughs> it's all good.
1: I'm watching it. I'm watching the confusion in real time.
0: Sorry, man. I had to mute you because all I could hear was tippity tapping on your, on your keyboard. There I we see go. it now.
2: Sorry. I thought I had muted myself through my headset.
0: No, no. It's all good. It's all good. So what is your vision? of the future of preservation technology?
2: Uh, I mean, I, I just, I would like something that just kind of enables easier access to classic games, which is really what we're pushing for with Carbon. But I feel like in the future, I'm hoping that platform holders just, this goes back to what Joe and everybody else were talking about with backwards compatibility. I just hope that platform holders offer deeper backwards compatibility going forward so that, it's easier for people to re-release their games on modern platforms so you know it, it'll be great if with playstation sony really opens it up so that anybody who made a playstation one game can say i'd like this to go back up then and, and it's it's hassle free and easy you know because if there's any barrier to it if there's a certification process or qa thing it has to go through like that's a point where it's going to be too much work and publishers are going to be like, ah, screw it. We don't really care. But if they can literally just say, here's the disc image file for my PlayStation one game, I want to re-release it, and monetize it again. And the platform holder supports that. I think we'll start seeing more of these older games coming back out and becoming more accessible again. And that's kind of what I, I hope to see in the future.
1: I think, um, I'll go a slightly different route. Uh, as far as what I would like to see for the vision of like preservation technology, I'm going to talk a little bit more just about like hardware devices. I would like to see us get to a point where I'm going to I'm going to name two devices here: um, the the Retro and the uh, Analog NT Mini. I would like to kind of point at those two things and say like uh, my idea for the the ideal future of preservation technology is that all devices that we use to play or interact with legacy you know software. Um, make the the experience of dumping that software as easy as the retrode and a jailbroken analog NT mini makes it um, because there's a lot of ways to dump old media but as far as the things I've used the retrode is the easiest you put a cart in there you make sure the voltage switch is on the correct voltage and you plug it in and it just shows up on your you know on windows like a like a thumb drive with the, you know, the, the dumped ROM. It's super easy, it backs up the ROM, it backs up whatever save files were on that cart. It's super easy, and you can do the exact same thing on the Analog NT Mini. Um, in fact, I think uh, with the Analog NT Mini, I think it even auto detects what mapper um, uh, you know, matches the NES cart that you're trying to dump. So you don't even have to have that extra bit of knowledge about mappers. It's just going to dump the thing correctly for you. I'd like to see more things do that. Man, would it be really cool with how much closer consoles are becoming to computers. Man, it'd be really cool if console manufacturers eventually got to a point where they're like, you know what, do you want to make a backup of like your console with the exact firmware that's on it and all the games you have on it? And you, Do you want to back it up to a hard drive so that like one day you can reboot this console to exactly where you had it? like wouldn't that be cool we'll probably never get there but like wouldn't that be all right like i don't know that would be um,
0: excellent that would be great this, we've, yeah. we've
1: we've we haven't have touched on this at all but like do you guys remember um do you guys remember like the blades dash on the xbox 360 like nobody ever talks about that yes. in terms of Preservation. wouldn't it be cool if you could boot your console back to any firmware to check out what the experience of using that console was at whatever point in time like like Having a way to back that stuff up right on the console to a, to an external drive and reboot it back to that, that'd be pretty neat. You know, that's but, actually
0: really cool. And now I'm just now I love the way that you dream about technology. <laughs> I really do. Like that's I really want cool. I've thought be about. Easy. Yeah, it's never, it's never
1: easy, and all I no. want is it to be easy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's why you help ship little miracles all the time. <laughs> so Jonas, for you, what is your vision? for the future of preservation technology?
3: Yeah, same thing. Um, I want it to be easy. And and just uh, jumping back to the the Blades uh, comment there, that's a really big thing in the Xbox 360 hacks uh, subreddit as well. Uh, People are uh, just super super excited whenever they see someone buying an older uh, older xbox 360 that still has the blades and everything they're like oh that's so cool so yeah i I think it would be really nice to have the possibility of just going back in time to different uis as well And it's like hey here's what it looked like in in 2006 here's what it looks like in 2007 and so on um so you can kind of see the progression as well and not just yeah you need to update to the latest firmware because otherwise we won't even start the game for you um so yeah just having that possibility it doesn't have it doesn't necessarily need to be it had uh, like a backtracking or, or backporting of for firmware uh but just the views and the ui and the feel of it just having that at least uh would be super nice so yeah i i think that would be good but yeah just Usability. Um, I wanted to give a shout out to another really cool dumper tool uh, that we just acquired for HitSave as well, which is the Retro Blaster uh, from RetroStage.net. That's a really cool one as well, and is actually able to dump Nintendo 64 prototypes, um, which has been a very, very hard thing to do with legacy hardware or hardware that is no longer sold. for, for quite some time. So super, super cool to have that. And they have the uh, the possibility of dumping a bunch of different uh, systems there, um, including the NES, SNES, Genesis, and Game, uh, Game Boy and Nintendo 64. So that's a really good tool. But yeah, in general, I would love for more ease of use, like the, the Super NT and the Analog NT Mini. Um, they're really, really good consoles and really good... Tools for preservation as well, uh, just like you mentioned. I, I think it's really neat to just be able to dump my Super Famicom cards here using my Super NT, then apply a translation patch, and all of a sudden I can play that game in English. Um, it's just again for accessibility sake. It's just uh, something that I, I'm I really really like. Um, the the other thing that I would love to see, this is not so much technology. Um, But licenses, so you mentioned this, Josh, uh, licenses for music and likeness and things like that. I wish for that to just go away Um, so we can move forward and actually do fun things like re-releasing games that has amazing music for a specific uh, time period, like the fantastic Xbox games in the beginning of 2000s that had a lot of new rock and and alternative rock that can't be re-released right now because of silly licensing issues. Uh, it's not a technology issue, it's just a licensing issue. So I would love to see that um go away. I don't think it will, but uh that that is my one wish.
1: Wouldn't it be nice if all of those licenses were perpetual? Yes. <laughs> Wouldn't so it nice much. if anybody like had the foresight or like just whatever to do that or like be able to negotiate that.
3: Yeah, or or um, um what's the uh the racing game that only has licenses for the likeness of the cars for like a year or two, and then they have to remove them from the. It the... was
1: one of the Forza games, wasn't it? Yes, yes. Like just yes. recently. Um... That
3: was
0: three. It was Forza Horizon three that that happened with.
3: Yeah, just why?
0: <laughs> so they no yeah, longer that... sell it. They had to take it off of the. They had to take it off of the store, and it wasn't just because of the car likenesses either. It was because of licensing around music. So that's why Alan Wake was temporarily taken down off of Steam because they needed to renew those licenses. It was all about music licensing.
1: Didn't Alan Wake also have like a Duracell license in it too? They did. Yeah. They They had had product licensing. Yeah. They had actual branded batteries.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Verizon was in it.
0: Yeah. That was actually. Yep. I remember that. I remember that being like a big like corporate partnership there with Remedy. Um, But it's true. And I mean, we've talked about it a lot on this show, how, the law takes a really, really long time to catch up to technology. It's, you know, I could spend it. We, in fact, did spend uh, an entire episode at GDC talking about this, talking about some of the legal ramifications. Um, So, yes, it is infuriating and not likely to go away because capitalism, especially late stage capitalism, is a hell of a drug. So I I have one more question for you all. One more question to wrap up this most excellent conversation about preservation. And it's talking about the future of preservation for the industry. So how can publishers and developers help to make preservation a priority during both development and launch? So Josh, why don't we start with you?
2: How can they make preservation better during development and launch a priority?
0: Yes, yep.
2: Uh, So I really just think that they need to focus on keeping materials in kind of a centralized source, you know, from the start, you know, defining where materials go, having somebody dedicated at the company, like a historian or an archivist or Mm -hmm. somebody that's at the company, you know, I I don't really think a lot of companies have somebody like that. It usually just kind of falls on some, you know, random other person. I know that Blizzard does. Blizzard has an
0: archivist and someone that was like trained as a librarian to help sort through those kinds of assets.
2: But I think that's, you know, that's the kind of thing that I, I think that publishers and developers need to be aware of is, you know, just it's a lot of work to to properly preserve your things and store them. And I think that's why it becomes kind of an oversight that, you know, they you get to the end of a project and then you try to think about preserving it. But by then it's too late because you've misplaced files. You don't know where you saved various art assets. You don't know, you know, what. You might have overwritten various bits of code that could have been interesting from a historical perspective. You could have lost old prototypes or demos because you weren't storing them somewhere. Like, you just have to be aware of where you're putting things so that when it comes time to preserve those things, you know where they are so that you can kind of properly preserve them and provide access to them in the future.
1: I'm going to say something uh, that's just kind of piggybacking off of Josh here. And it's super cynical, and I feel super dirty saying it, but I'm going to say it. Um, you need people high up in these bigger companies, these, like, the publishers and stuff like that. You need somebody there that recognizes maybe the potential of monetizing these assets. Not now, but 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now. Something that understands the monetization aspect of the mm-hmm. back catalog of all of their stuff. Right? Because if somebody at You're the top You're leaving tab- money on the table. <laughs> If If you tell them that
0: they're leaving money on the table, they will pay more attention.
1: Yeah. Not only will they pay more attention, but they'll make it a priority. They'll make sure that the, you know, the development directors for each of these projects are making sure that things are being archived and backed up along the way. It's like, it's, I, again, I hate saying it, but like if big companies understand the, the commercialized aspect of what they're leaving behind, they're going to make a better, you know, a better effort to preserve things.
0: Yeah, All right. Jonas, what do you think?
3: I can only agree. Uh, I think if you're in a big company, absolutely. The uh, the leadership must acknowledge and must understand the value of preservation and not just see it as a cost. But that, absolutely a, a future revenue stream. Uh, I think when, when you see it like that, it changes the, the discussion, changes the conversation and changes how how things are viewed, um, both from physical artifacts to digital, co- uh, digital um, uh, repos of files, so uh, art assets and code and what have you. But for for smaller developers, uh, so the, the the indie games, I know limited run games. You, you focus a lot of a lot on indie game developers as well, and not everyone has a person that can be dedicated for this. Um, but just having having like a, a template, like, Hey, like Josh, you said, make sure that you store code properly, make sure you store your graphics uh, files properly make sure you store things properly. And then, um, and I mentioned this earlier, if you want to share this with someone during development, if you want to share this with a uh, video game, um, preservation, um, Nonprofit like that, the Video Game History Foundation, or us at Hit Save, um, that would be really cool because then we can store things now instead of trying to reach out to you 10, 20 years from now and see if you still have some files on a disk that you backed up in 2022. So it would be awesome if we can help you preserve things now instead of trying to uh, collect things from from just random disks in the future.
1: You know, what's going to even get harder about that is we're already at a point where the vast majority of people don't use physical media in their day-to-day yeah. lives. Everything's digital. Everything's on hard drives or whatever. Who's taking the time to put that on even thumb drives or like external drives. Um, mm-hmm. we're long past the days where you're going to go and talk to a developer who has, you know, um, all this stuff on floppies or CDs or, you know, DVDs or whatever in a box in their garage. That's that's still happening now because we're still finding that stuff now, right? But I'm talking 20 years from now, like you're saying, that's not going to be happening. No. We're, we're just not going to have that stuff. We don't, did you know you know, physical media for general purpose is just not a thing, especially for the average person. One, they're not even really using computers. Average people aren't they're using handheld computer like devices like their phones and Mm -hmm. tablets and stuff. And any files that they cared about are stored digitally in some sort of cloud thing, like a Google drive or, you know, Google docs or something like that. Um, so the, just the, the average person, they don't have devices that can read physical media to back things up and they're not storing things that way. So it's, you know, we have to get more creative about, um, you know what the future looks like we have to kind of get we have to get ready for what the future looks like because 20 years from now it might be even harder to read a cd and dump something from a cd or mm-hmm. you know more like 50 years from now um, we have to be future proofing files in some way you know it's not about reading them and storing them for an environment in 2022 it's about reading and you know s- storing and preparing files to be read in whatever the environment is 30 40 years from now
3: That's
0: such a great point. That's such a great point, because this is this is why we keep coming back and having these conversations over the years is because it gets more and more difficult the further and further we get away from media that was used in the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, and even through the early aughts, the early to mid aughts, you know, it's technology changes fast. And if we don't make preservation a priority, then we're gonna have to have these conversations again and again and again and again and again. And, again. and honestly, it does, it does need to change from the very top. This is a cultural problem. And this is a problem around licensing and copyright and intellectual property and trademarks and all, all of those things that go into, you know, protecting intellectual property. And at the same time, intellectual property rights is something that really does hold back preservation generation after generation. All right. Well, folks, yeah,
1: the fun stuff.
0: (laughs) On that very positive note of talking about all the things that are broken about preservation, there are so many things about preservation that we can be exceptionally excited about. So I'm really glad that we had this conversation Josh, where can people find you online?
2: You can find me on Twitter at limitedrunjosh.
0: Joe, do uh, you exist outside of your green screen?
1: Uh, no, I am. I am just a digital presence in the ether here.
0: <gasps> Amazing. You know, you I'm can, so proud you of you.
1: Can, <laughs> <laughs> you can find me on uh, Twitter also. I am also on the nightmare bird app. Um, my handle is at uh, super N E S Joe.
0: That's a great handle. I love that. Thank you. Jonas. I, I made it myself. It was good. It's good. I like that a lot. Jonas, where can people find you?
3: Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jonas Rossland and on Discord. You'll find me at Jonas Rossland and some numbers as well. Uh, and you can find HitSave at uh, at HitSave.org on Twitter and HitSave.org uh, on the, the interwebs.
0: And we're also on Twitch.
3: Yes. Forget yes, about we that.
0: Are. We are on Twitch these days. All right. And... You can find me on Twitter at, at Amanda Farrow and at Virtual Econcast. We will be back for our news show more than likely later this week. But if we don't see you, remember to wash your hands, stay hydrated, and be good to one another. We'll see you soon.